0: Thank you to our generous underwriters on Sharper Iron, the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information, and Luther Classical College, a college for Lutherans by Lutherans, opening in fall 2025. Learn more at lutherclassical.org. On this Wednesday, December 14th, we are studying the hymn, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. That's number three hundred forty-eight in Lutheran Service Book. This hymn, written by John Brownlee, invites us to consider the coming of Christ in the light of the dawning sun. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Peter Ill. Pastor Ill serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt Illinois. Pastor Ill, welcome back to Sharper Iron.
1: Good morning. It's wonderful to be here with you.
0: And Pastor Ill, welcome to God for Illinois. It's wonderful to be here too. It's glad to have you in person today here in the the bunker studio, is what Andy Bates told me I should call it. Well, I, I don't like know that. if you have a better name. I say maybe Bible Bunker. I'm not sure, but if you have a, a thought about what I should call this studio, I'd be happy to we'll, hear it.
1: We'll have to give it a cool name, but That's uh, right. I may have to think on that.
0: Okay. All right. All right. Very good. Well, let's let's think on Advent to get started this morning. So we're, we're again we're talking about the King shall come when morning dawns, and as we prepare to think about this hymn in particular particular, let's talk about the season of Advent. Tell me about Advent and why you love it so much.
1: Advent is a wonderful season that uh, isn't static. It, it kind of shifts as you go through Advent, and so it starts with right at the end of the previous church year, you have kind of Christ the King Sunday, and then uh, you get into Advent right away with, well, Jesus entering into Jerusalem as the king. And so you have departing church year, talking about Jesus as king, entering church year, talking about Jesus as king. And then you hit the John the Baptist Sundays, and then you kind of get into the pre-Christmas Sunday. I, uh, I'm, I'm famous around my folks for kind of rampaging a little bit and saying, no, no. Advent isn't pre-Christmas. Advent is doing its own wonderful thing of driving us toward uh, the coming of Christ, not just at Christmas, but the coming of Christ in His glory again. And so, uh, Advent isn't just pre-Christmas. Uh, we don't we don't want to tip our hand too far, but we do get this this kind of wonderful passage through Advent of going from the king coming in glory to the king coming in the manger
0: okay so you don't have to rampage here on air but let, let's talk a little bit about why advent isn't pre-christmas and why that's important or why it's not just pre-christmas you know all, all around for quite some time now we've been seeing christmas decorations and hearing christmas music and at least in Millstadt, illinois the the pastor is holding back on that why is that important for the people of god to to wait
1: to recognize exactly what we're waiting for is really helpful because the mystery of Christmas, of God taking on flesh, is a wonderful thing for us to consider. Uh, And we get to do that during Christmas. But there's also a wonderful time for us to sit back and hear, the king is coming again. Uh, He came in Jerusalem on a donkey, humble, uh, riding the, the colt, the foal of a beast of burden. But then he is also coming again in glory and having this, this focus of, of the eschatological, or that is the end time things, uh, that we get to get into and really uh, love and look forward to. Because every time we see uh, somebody talking about the end of the world, we think, man, that person's kind of strange. <laughs> uh, but there's a real and a true gift about the promise that Christ is coming again and that he is doing wonderful things for his church now, and he's going to do even better things for his church when he returns in glory. So we get to keep thinking about that coming of the king in glory in a really wonderful way. And so to to just think of Advent as pre-Christmas gets... Uh, it limits the scope of all of the wonderful things that Scripture has to tell us during this the season of waiting and watching and repenting.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. And and this hymn in particular is one of those Advent hymns that says a few things about Christ's first coming, but by and large focuses us on the second coming of Christ. And as I was uh, looking at this hymn in preparation for our conversation, I I kind of wondered, you know, you could almost put this hymn in the last times— section of the hymnal, in addition to the Advent, and it probably gets sung in both seasons of the church year, both at the end of the church year and here at the beginning. And so we, we have a great opportunity to talk about that that coming of Christ, particularly at the end with this hymn. Before we Before we do that, just thinking about the season of Advent, this show is airing during the third week in Advent, which is the week when you get to light the the pink candle or the rose candle—I know some are very particular about which which it is—but it's the it's the pink or rose candle, which is a a joyful time during the season of Advent. So it, it, it's a nice reminder that for all of the time of preparation and waiting, it's a joyful season as well.
1: It, it is, and the the origins of the of the pink or rose candle uh, go back to uh, in the in the one year lectionary. It it starts with the, the antiphon starts with the word rejoice. And so we talk about the joy candle and how uh, the season that is historically a penitential season and a season of repentance uh, gets a little bit lighter. Um, And that kind of marks the transition in that season of Advent away from the Christ the King emphasis, uh, a little bit more toward, okay, now we're, we are doing some pre-Christmassy stuff.
0: That's right, that's right. And when you get to the fourth Sunday in Advent, then generally the Gospel reading is going to be something that does happen right before Christ's birth, whether from Matthew or Luke, you're, you're going to hear something that is a little more pre-Christmas. Because, as we will see in this hymn, in order to receive Christ correctly and faithfully at his second coming, you need to know what he did at his first coming. And so when we say Advent isn't pre-Christmas, we're not downplaying that at all. We just want to make sure we keep things in their proper perspective. And of course, and I don't know if we've talked about this too much, and it doesn't come up quite as much in this hymn, but it's always, I think, important to mention that Christ still comes to us today in his word, in his sacrament. And that's a part of the preparation of Advent, too.
1: I forget who said it, but there's a, a famous line among the, the Lutheran Orthodox of uh, Advent is really about three comings. Mm. The coming of Christ in the manger, yes. The coming of Christ in word and in sacrament, absolutely. And the coming of Christ in his glory. And so there's kind of a threefold coming that we look forward to.
0: That's right. So Pastor Ill, during this joyous season of Advent, of waiting and preparation, what is your favorite hymn to sing? I,
1: I'll pick two. Oh, um, I'll allow it. I was th- I was thinking about this question and I thought, man, <laughs> all of them isn't a good answer. <laughs> sure it is, <laughs> but uh, especially I love "Savior of the Nations Come." It tells the whole gospel of of Jesus coming, but in an Advent context. And and I, it's one of my favorite, especially early Advent hymns. Uh, the other one I like uh, a ton is my favorite end of Advent hymn, and that's O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, which is a uh, a telling of those those O antiphons of the last uh, seven days before Christmas. Mm, and so right. both of them are wonderful.
0: Very good, very good. I, I, I always enjoy hearing other pastors' favorite Advent hymns, because it's not always my favorite Advent hymn. I've, I've mentioned this before, but I'm pretty sure this is still the case, that O oh Lord, How Shall I Meet You is, is still my favorite Advent hymn. Uh, We sang that on the first Sunday in Advent. It pairs very nicely with Palm Sunday and that account of Jesus entering into Jerusalem. But any number of fantastic Advent hymns. And you, dear listener, again, we would love to hear from you. Please send us your favorite Advent hymn. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. So, Pastor L., we get to look at number 348, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. Uh, Let's just talk introduction on this hymn. I mentioned from the outset it's written by... A uh, hymn writer named John Brownlee. Any introduction in terms of history on the text and when he wrote it and and such things before we look at the stanzas.
1: So this came in a collection of hymns that uh, of of hymns and thoughts and suggestions uh, is the name of the book uh, that he published this in. Uh, John Brownlee only has one original hymn, and this is it. Wow. Uh, most of his work actually was translating. Uh, from, especially from Latin, but this is his original work uh, that he kind of uh, tossed in with some of his uh, hymn translations, and it's it's a newer hymn for us. Uh, A lot of the Advent hymns go back to, uh, you know, the three or 400s in some cases. This one is actually from about 1902, 1902, 1903, right in there. So it's a it's a newer hymn to us but it has some wonderful poetry and one of the things that I really appreciate is the kind of compare and contrast that he shows between Christmas, Easter and Christ's return. And so that that's really makes up uh, a lot of the meat of the hymn is Christmas is great, Jesus return is going to be greater. Easter is great, Jesus return is going to be greater. Uh, and it's a it's just a really wonderfully told hymn.
0: Uh, yeah, very good. So that, that answers my next question. What is the hymn generally about? So we're going to be thinking especially about Christ's return and comparing and contrasting with both Christmas and Easter. Another thing that I, I find just wonderful about this hymn, generally speaking, is that it it does those things, making use of a, a pretty much the same image throughout. We're going to be thinking about the dawning of the sun on on these days. And that, I think, invites even just a An everyday experience when you get up, if you get up that early and you see the dawning sun, a hymn like this puts itself into your daily life in that way. So let's take a look at stanza one. The king shall come when morning dawns and light triumphant breaks, when beauty gilds the eastern hills and life to joy awakes. That is stanza one of hymn number 348 in Lutheran service book, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. So let's let's just talk about that first word, the king. That's two words. That's two words. <laughs> a definite article and a noun. The there we go. king. Yeah. Tell but, us about the talking king. Talking about
1: the king is really, really important because... Uh, we have the beginnings of this hymn, recognizing Jesus as king. This is why this would be a great hymn, especially early in Advent, thinking about maybe the first Sunday in Advent when the gospel reading is Jesus entering into Jerusalem, uh, you know, on the donkey. Uh, and here you have the people calling out, blessed is the, the son of David, and here's Jesus the king coming. It uh, really makes a good uh, fit. And this idea of the king and even the king coming is a big deal in scripture, especially in Matthew chapter 25, when Jesus speaks about how the son of man will return and will come in glory and judge people like a shepherd separates the sheep and the goats. Mm. Uh, and so there's a, a, a time when there's a, a kingly thing going on. You also have uh, a lot of king talk, the way that Luke and John talk about uh, Jesus' passion account. Uh, you have Jesus before Pilate, and and Pilate asking him, so are you a king? And Jesus says, well, you said so. Yeah. Uh, and so Brownlee picks up on this theme in this hymn and starts with, the king shall come. Mm. Uh, and it gets us thinking, I'm going to throw in one more uh, fa- fancy Greek word. Uh, we talk about sometimes Jesus' return as his parousia. Ooh, that is a good one. Which is the the Greek word for his is coming again or coming alongside of, uh, that parousia word was what was used any time you had a royal visit or any time you received even the king's representative. So, you know, the tax man comes and he has a a parousia and and a little ceremony. uh, And it was always a a big deal to receive the king or his ambassador. Uh, For the king to come is a big deal. And so as we talk about the coming of the king, we don't get just any ambassador. We get the king himself, and he will come, and we get to recognize that that Jesus is the king uh, of all creation. Mm. Uh, sometimes it's hard for for me as an American to to really grasp the the full weight of kingship. Yeah. Uh, we don't have any hymns talking about the president coming, <laughs> um, or no, or, or any other you know the prime minister uh, <laughs> or anything like that because. The The president and the prime minister, they change regularly. Sure. That's, that's kind of the point. Uh, the king, he comes and he has both governing authority and ceremonial authority all tied up into one. But Jesus comes not just as the king of a particular uh, country or nation state, but he comes as king of all creation, mm-hmm. uh, ruling over all things. He was there at creation. He keeps the whole world spinning even now. And he is the one who is going to rule the new heavens and the new earth in all time.
0: So the connection to the first Sunday in Advent with Palm Sunday and seeing Jesus come as king into Jerusalem sets the tone for the whole season of Advent. And thinking about the language of kingdom in the season of Advent, the second Sunday in Advent this year, in the three-year lectionary, we heard the preaching of John the Baptist, who starts off by preaching, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And anytime we hear that kingdom language, we should be thinking of Jesus as king. And so you've seen Jesus come as king in humility, and then John says, repent, because the king, if we can say it that way, the king is here. The question becomes, well, is this good or bad? You know, I mean, you, you compared it to, you talked about presidents and prime ministers, and I suppose depending on who you are and who that ruler happens to be, the the king or the ruler coming, that that might be good news for you, that might be not so welcome news for you. How how are we seeing that here in this hymn, that the king shall come? Is this a good thing for us? Is this a, a neutral thing? Is this not so welcome? Talk a little bit about that.
1: This is the greatest news. Uh, especially as it's told here in our hymn, we in the church, we the singers who gather around Christ's word and sacrament, we are overjoyed at this. Uh, for those who are outside of the church, this is not such good news. But for those of us who are here gathered in faith, we are really, really excited about the coming of the King and and this idea of the light of the world breaks into the mm. darkness uh, that... Is going to come up through the rest of the hymn is really really exciting as we get to to hear about the light shining in the world and we look forward to receiving Jesus who has enlightened us with his grace and with his truth
0: yeah the first stanza is, is very much pointing us toward the last day and the coming of the king then but as we will see the coming of the king the first time is crucial in receiving the king correctly on the last day and and actually welcoming him on the last day. Because if we don't see him coming for us as a king in humility the first time, then when he comes again in glory the second time, it's not going to be a welcome thing for us. As you've said, we've seen some of these things and themes in previous Advent hymns, particularly that comes to my mind, the, the hymn "Lo, he comes with clouds descending uses the same language of the kingship of Christ. And so we're, we're returning to that same theme in this hymn. And as you said, now the King is coming with light and particularly the dawning of the morning. So those two themes go hand in hand, but perhaps there's some nuances we can pick up from each. Let's talk first about the idea of the, the dawning morn or the morning dawning.
1: Um, this is a phrase that actually goes back to Second Peter uh, in chapter one. and let me let me grab my Bible and
0: that's good. Have that ready. Yeah. Yeah. Second Peter, chapter one. What's the verse, Pastor ill? It's
1: verse 19. All right. A better pastor would have had his Bible open already.
0: That's all right. So Second Peter chapter 1, verse 19, which I believe is, is a, used some years on the transfiguration of our Lord. Keep that in mind, because I think we might need to talk about the transfiguration later. You ready? I am. Read it.
1: And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Um and so I, I would like to not only talk about the dawn but also this this morning star idea mm. uh, as they as they tie together, uh, in addition to to these words that talk about Christ's return as the shining of the dawn and the the rising of the morning star, you also have Jesus himself saying that he is the light of the world mm. uh, back in the Gospel of John in chapter eight. And so this idea that Jesus is the, the light and the light bringer and the light giver uh, is just a tremendous biblical analogy that we have all the way through. And we continue to look forward to it. Um, but like you had mentioned before, there's also this idea of, you know, as people who see dawns, uh, we get really excited. Um, I know there have been times when I've been out on a deer stand and it seems like it get you, you get there. You sit down. It seems like it gets darker before it gets brighter. Uh, but as, as soon as you start to see the light filter through the woods, it's just a wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's one of my favorite parts of the day, uh, it, until I get cold. Um, <laughs> but you know things happen. That's right. But nonetheless, we have this this picture of of the new thing that's happening with the dawn. Uh, by the grace of God and by the coming of Jesus.
0: Mm. Well, and if I can import some language from previous hymns that we've looked at, hymn number 337 in Lutheran service book, The Night Will Soon Be Ending, a hymn by Jochen Klepper. That hymn very much used this same imagery that there is darkness around us right now in this world of guilt and grief and pain, and so we look forward to this dawning sun, to go back to the imagery for our hymn today. I mean, this, is a, this is a good reminder that we, we are looking forward to that dawn. We are the children of the light, not of darkness. And as we live in a world that has darkness in it still, we long for this day when our king comes with the dawning morn and he breaks with that light triumphant. I mean, I think that, that language in that second phrase there, you know, the light triumphant breaks. It's breaking into the darkness. The darkness cannot overcome this light. That's how powerful it is when our when our king comes. And that, then, the rest of the stanza says, that when beauty gilds the eastern hills and life to joy awakes. Now, the, the beauty gilding the eastern hills...
1: A uh, wonderful phrase, but I... But it you, you have to take a beat and think about what it means, right? That's
0: right. So what does it mean to... Well, I mean, the word gilding is not a, a word that we use all that often.
1: Well, so gilding is often used to talk about gold. Right. When something is covered with gold, it is gilded or gilt. Okay. Um, and so the beauty gilding the eastern hills would be uh, as that sun rises in the east, the eastern hills get the sun before the before any of the, the other hills. And so that beauty... Starts there with the dawn and so it's another dawn expression about how this light and this beauty start in the east and come to all people and so once again, we're, we're still firmly in this this dawn uh, light coming uh,
0: image Sure, and so when beauty gilds the eastern hills, and then life to joy awakes. Tell us about that last and phrase so, of the stanza. So
1: here we are in the, the joyful week of Advent, uh, getting to think yeah. just about the joy that Jesus brings in his return. Uh, and this isn't something for us in the church to be afraid of or scared of. This is something for us to be excited about and something for us to rejoice in, hmm. uh, and so that's exactly what we get to do today.
0: That's right. So, okay, we've connected this first stanza to Sundays one, two, and three in the season of Advent already. I, I can't help but think of, when I read this first stanza, I can't help but think of the the resurrection of the dead. I mean, when I, I think about the the dawning of the morn and beauty, you know, gilding the golden sun on the eastern hills, particularly, and then life to joy awakes, when I think about the way the scriptures speak about the resurrection, you know, wake, O sleeper, rise from death, and the joy that comes to all Christians on the day of resurrection, that's where, I mean, just the totality of the stanza really takes me to to that. It, the
1: This is one of the things that I love about church cemeteries. Uh, and oh, yeah. uh, every once in a while I'll just go, I'll go hang out in a church cemetery. Uh, not to be creepy, but because uh, this is where... The saints are gathered in a different way than than in the ch- church service, uh, you know, around word and sacrament. They're waiting; they are waiting in a different sense for the return of Jesus to finally and fully free them from death. Uh, and to, to think about even the, the sun shining in a cemetery mm. uh, as Christians are gathered and waiting for the day of Christ's return is another wonderful image that this hymn definitely does evoke.
0: Well, and, and generally speaking, in church cemeteries people are buried facing the east, correct? Usually I think. Yep. yeah, not always, but but that's a, a tradition in some places. And that again, I think this brings that to mind. And maybe, you know, yeah. So but and I, I will say this because I, I think it's it's worth pointing out. It's not just the resurrection of all flesh, but we're talking here about the renewal of all creation, not just humanity.
1: Right. Right. And so uh, there's a wonderful promise for Christians and for the church that we will be raised. But as Paul talks in Romans 1, sin has infected everything. Um, all creation is, is suffering under the curse of sin. And so all of creation is looking forward to Christ's return, uh, to, when, to when that beauty fully shines on the eastern hills and on everything that's part of those hills. Uh, as all creation will be set free and all of creation will rejoice. Mm.
0: So a fantastic beginning to this hymn. We are looking forward to the coming of our King. It will be as the morning dawn, this triumphant light that breaks into our darkness and makes life to joy awaken. Let's take a look at stanza two. Not as of old a little child to bear and fight and die, but crowned with glory like the sun that lights the morning sky. That is stanza two of the hymn, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. Pastor L, we're pretty close to a break here. Why don't you just give us, what is this stanza saying? And then when we come back to it on the other side, we'll we'll dig into some of the words a little bit more.
1: It's saying that Christ came in the flesh at Christmas, and uh, his incarnation seemed like it had ended in his death. Uh and that's a good thing, but it's a better thing that he's coming again in his glory. And so this is a it starts that pattern of comparing and contrasting this with, uh, with, of Christmas with Christ's return in
0: glory. Okay, so this is the good thing that Christ did in his first coming, and now here is the greater thing, the fulfillment thing that Christ will do when he returns again in glory. We're going to pick up stanza two further on the other side of the break, You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're looking at the hymn, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns with Pastor Peter Ill. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, December 14th. We are studying hymn number 348 in Lutheran service book, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. We're talking to Pastor Peter Ill this morning. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstott, Illinois. Pastor Ill, prior to the break, we looked at stanza two. You summarized it for us. We're seeing a contrast here between what Christ did as of old and what he will do on the last day. And it says not as of old, but that does not mean that what he did as of old and his first coming was bad. It's simply, they're going to be different. So let's talk about what this second stanza teaches us about Christ's first coming. The first thing it, it mentions is that he came as a little child.
1: So this starts with Christmas. And so when Christ comes again, it's not going to be like that. He's not going to come again as a little child. He already did that. Uh, The mystery of God becoming flesh has been experienced. It's exactly what we believe. And so the the hymn writer directs our attention to the fact, yes, Christ was born at Christmas, uh, but Christ wasn't born at Christmas just for its own sake. Christ was born at Christmas taking on flesh in order to, Bear and fight and die, as it says in the second half of that first line, and really points us to the, full, the fullness of the incarnation uh, leads Jesus not only to teach and to do miracles, but to suffer and to die. And so we're quickly transported here in just a few words from Christmas uh, not as a little child all the way to bearing and fighting and dying. Those are all good Friday words.
0: That's right. So we we've gone in the Apostles' Creed here. We've we've basically started with conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. We get all of that in the first line of stanza 2. Absolutely. Okay. Now but this is but this is important because it, it does it sets the tone for the difference between the two comings. His first coming was in if I can summarize it this way, his first coming was in humility. He came as a little child, he came to and we'll talk about what these things are. He came to bear something, he came to fight something, and ultimately he came to die. That humility of his first coming is going to stand in contrast to the glory of his second coming. But I think this is important. And I don't know that the the hymn necessarily draws this out explicitly, but I think it invites us to to understand it's important that Christ came this first way. He's not going to come that way a second time, but the fact that he came that way the first time is key to receiving him in joy the second time.
1: And when we start to think a little bit about this this idea of Christ coming in humility, we can talk about how Christ has come uh, how there is a time when Christ is uh, in his state of humiliation, which isn't like a state of being embarrassed, right. but rather is a state of he holds, he, he doesn't fully show all of his divine power all at once. Right. Um, and so he comes humbly, even thinking again in our Advent readings about the the humility of coming into Jerusalem on the donkey um, and thinking about these things that, that don't seem super-duper kingly, but instead he comes full of his glory, full of grace and truth. Um, but his his second coming is going to be in glory, in his state of exaltation, as we talk about it, when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hmm. And so we, get, we are rightly uh, excited about Christ's return when we will fully see everything that he has to show us in the days... Uh, when that day comes,
0: I'm mm. putting these two things side by side: the the humiliation, again rightly understood, of his first coming, and then the exaltation of his second coming. Putting them side by side, I think, helps us to remember it's the same Jesus in both in both places. So when you see him as a little child and he's born and laid in the manger in Bethlehem, and when you see him burying our weaknesses and when you see him dying on the cross, he's the King there, and and that's that's a really important that's really important for us to understand and believe so that we do receive him in faith on the last day. When we see that, what, what has my King done for me the first time he came, he came in this weakness and humility all to save me. And when I have faith in him, which the Holy Spirit has given me, then I do receive him with joy on the last day instead of, instead of terror. And so, you know, this stanza starts with the word not, but what happens in that first line is so important for us so that we would receive Christ in w- joy when he comes with glory crowned on the last day.
1: Absolutely. And so the, when we think about Christ as king, the the irony of Pilate putting that sign on the cross of, of this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, you know, chuckle, chuckle, uh, is fully and completely true, and Jesus is there on the cross as your king, as our king, uh, as we see his work and, and believe that this is how our king has come to rule over us not on a throne, but on a cross.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's right. Pilate was right when he wrote, this is Jesus, King of the Jews, even if he didn't believe it, or even if anyone else reading it didn't believe it, he was quite right that that's where Jesus is, King of the Jews, most fully. That's where he reigns as our King. And of course, just thinking through this stanza, you know, as a little child, that's where the Magi come looking for the King of the Jews, too, is when Jesus is a little child in Matthew chapter 2. Now, you, you mentioned earlier that the words bear and fight and die, those are all Good Friday words. So, so talk about those Good Friday words.
1: So as we think about bearing, it, it's easiest for us to think about Jesus bearing the cross. Uh, and that's a, a way that we think that he carried the cross up to Calvary, where he was crucified. But we can also rightly talk in terms of how Jesus has bared, born, born. yeah, born With our sins. With an E at the end of it. Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, like a good british w- uh, hymn writer would do. <laughs> That's right. Uh and so we have he carried them. He he carried and he bears our sins even now, uh bringing us forgiveness for those sins. And it is on the cross that our sins are carried and then put to an end.
0: Yeah, I with the word when I, I I'm glad you talked about Jesus bearing his cross because I hadn't thought of that. But I I was thinking of what you said second that to bear to bear I was reminded of the way John preaches, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away, who carries away the sins of the world. Okay, so there's, there's the bearing language. What about fighting? So
1: our Lord Jesus has come to fight uh, the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. Uh, and I'm not sure that that's exactly kind of how our hymn writer would have articulated it, but he fights against the devil uh, most certainly at mm. his death. Uh, he also fights against the world and our sinful nature, even now when he brings us the forgiveness of our sins. Uh, all of this king talk makes me think about the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. You know, thy kingdom come.
0: That's the third petition. Third
1: petition, emphatic math, okay. uh, and counting and things. But uh, we have this this promise that uh, God's kingdom will come, and as God's kingdom comes— It's actually
0: the second petition, Pastor Hill. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. We're both bad at counting.
1: Okay, well, these things happen.
0: Thy kingdom come is the second petition. We do know the catechism. We
1: do. Uh, even better yet, we know that Jesus is coming as the king, and and we look forward to that. Uh, as And in those words, it talks about how uh, God's kingdom comes every time he breaks and hinders uh, the assaults of the devil, the world, and our sinful flesh. And, and so we definitely look forward to... Uh, That continuing work of Jesus, these are Good Friday words, yes, but they are everyday words because in his death on Good Friday, Jesus continues to to bear and fight. He doesn't continue to die, though. He did that once for all, Um, but the bearing and the fighting— uh, he continues to do for
0: us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the fighting language reminded me as well, and I don't know, again, if the hymn writer had this in mind, but the fighting language, you talked about the fight that Christ has against the devil, going all the way back to Genesis 3, the enmity that God puts between the serpent and between the offspring of the woman, that, that the offspring, Jesus, the seed of the woman, he fights in our place and defeats the devil. And he does that by his death, once for all, on the cross. That is his first coming, that's how he came as of old it is good that he did that because by that he won our salvation however the hymn writer invites us to consider that his second coming won't be like that instead his second coming will be crowned with glory like the sun that lights the morning sky so again we have that that thought of the sun rising and lighting up the morning sky and and now the kingly image also comes in with the idea of being crowned so Again, we've got some scripture passages that I think we can consider here this crowning with glory like the sun.
1: This calls my attention to Revelation one mm-hmm. when uh, Jesus appears to John in a vision on the island of Patmos, and John uh, recognizes Jesus and there he is uh, dressed in a in a white robe with a golden sash and, and shining gleaming uh, he doesn't use the image of the John doesn't say anything in Revelation 1 about the sun, but he definitely has this image of, of bright shining uh, coming from Jesus. Uh, and Jesus is portrayed there uh, having the two-edged sword coming out of his mouth and having the keys of death and hell. Uh, and, and it's this powerful image that makes us think this really is the king. Even if he's not wearing a crown, he is the shining one, he is the glorious one, he is the one that we've been waiting for and the one we've been watching for.
0: Hmm, that's right. Yeah, that that scene from Revelation one is very similar, I, I think, to the transfiguration of our Lord. And, and even the way John reacts there in Revelation chapter one, when he sees this this one who is you know just so glorious. He falls down. And the Lord then touches him and says, you know, get up, which is, again, very similar to what happens for Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration. And the idea of, you know, Jesus being crowned with glory like the sun, you have some very similar images there with the transfiguration. Jesus shines like the sun with the glory that is his own, and it's not a reflected glory. And that, and even greater than that, I know the hymn writer doesn't bring up the transfiguration explicitly here, but even greater glory than the transfiguration... That is how Jesus will appear on the last day. And again, that's something that we are looking forward to, and we can look forward to it because of the way Jesus came the first time, as a little child who bore our sins, fought the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, and won through his death. Any more thoughts on stanza two, Pastor El?
1: I don't think so. I think, okay. I think we're good to keep
0: going. All right. All right. So stanza three. Oh brighter than the rising morn when Christ victorious rose— and left the lonesome place of death, despite the rage of foes. That stanza three of the hymn, "The King shall come when morning dawns." Pastoral.
1: So, so this carries that that image of of the the greater glory that we will see that we left off with in stanza two, and and he just keeps rolling with it. Of oh, that will be uh, brighter. That glory and that that sun like crowning of Jesus will be. Uh, greater even than Easter, mm. uh, the the very linchpin of our faith, uh, th- this confession that Jesus has risen from the dead. Uh,
0: he has risen indeed. He he is. Hallelujah.
1: Hallelujah. And his return is going to be even better yet. Uh, we. Not that we ever take our eyes off of Easter, but we always are are looking and watching and waiting and praying for the day of Christ's return because the risen Christ is also the returning Christ, and we never give up on that idea and that expectation. And so you want to talk about glory? Uh, That's great. Easter is one of the most glorious things we can think of, and Christ's return is going to be even better yet. Uh, And so... Our attention shifts from Good Friday uh, in stanza two to Easter now. And you have this idea of that uh, that glory. Uh, we still have our sunrise picture, right? Because it's, yep. of course, very early in the morning That's right. uh, when the women go to the tomb. Every year at Easter time, I, I get up very early in the morning while it's still dark. And I think, why didn't Jesus rise from the
0: dead like at the crack of noon? Uh, but <laughs> Good things happen at the dawn in the Bible. They Pastor do, Il. they do. Yeah.
1: I just don't love dawn as much as most people. <laughs> um, nonetheless. uh, the glory of Christ's return like the dawn will be even better than the Easter dawn yeah. and that's definitely something for the church to look forward sure. to sure yeah
0: i mean it's it, you know when you're going to write a hymn the king shall come in morning dawns it, it makes perfect sense at least in my mind that you're going to talk about easter and it is quite something that he he tells us and we sing with him that the coming of Christ is going to be brighter than the rising morn of Easter, which, as you said, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ is the linchpin of our faith. St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ isn't raised from the dead, then we might as well all just go home, that you and I need to find different different work and and. Christianity is entirely useless if Christ isn't raised from the dead. But, of course, Paul goes on to say, but he has been raised from the dead, in fact. And that gives you hope not just for this life, but for the next. And so, I mean, Easter, like that's a really big deal for Christianity. And here we're saying there's going to be a brighter morning even than that, which is I don't think is meant to downplay Easter by any means at all. But it does invite us to put Easter into the context of all that Christ has done. So as as you said, we have a risen Lord, one who is risen indeed, hallelujah, who is also returning. This this stanza invites us to tell the whole account of what Christ has done, to take the creed, and we talked about the creed earlier, to take the second article of the creed all the way to when Christ returns to judge the living and the dead, and to to recognize the the fullness of the glory that will be ours when Christ returns fulfills that one promise that he hasn't yet and, and does return as he has promised.
1: Absolutely. And so there's always this focus on, on the risen Christ returning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and of course then the crucified and risen Christ returning, you know, the one who bears I mean, you know, you can't, you have to, you have to, Preach all of the story of Christ. Uh, we focus on on maybe you know one part of the story here and there, and that's good. But we we take Christ's work in totality, and and the great thing about this hymn is that it reminds us of the coming work of Christ in His return. So that day will be brighter than the the morning when Christ rose in victory, and and here the hymn writer um, John Brownlee specifically describes that glory of Easter morning. As the day when Christ left the lonesome place of death, despite the rage of foes. Now, how does how does that inform what we've been talking about?
1: The idea of of Christ's tomb as the lonesome place of death. It, man, that's just a great phrase. We, yeah. don't, we don't have phrases like... I don't write phrases like that, but I sure wish I did. That's right. But... Jesus is buried all by himself. He's not in any kind of a church cemetery. He's instead placed into a new tomb into which uh, no one had yet been laid. uh, And he leaves it behind. Hmm. Somebody else can use that now because he doesn't need it anymore. He leaves that place. Uh, But his foes, the, the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day, uh, and the Roman government, I mean, they pay off the guards uh, mm. in order to, to lie about Jesus' resurrection. And so they're raging and rampaging, and, and they're upset about uh, whatever happened to Jesus' body. They uh, don't believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. Uh, as Jesus is risen from the dead, and he leaves all of, uh, all of their raging behind, he leaves that place of death, in order to keep living and ruling and reigning at the right hand of God the Father and it's from there that he will come again to judge the living and the dead to bring that glorious morn to all of us
0: yeah yeah and I think you know the the rage of foes certainly we can think of the account that we read in the Gospels of the way that his foes raged against him but I think in, in the context of this hymn we should also think about the foes that you mentioned earlier whom Christ fought, that he fought against the devil and our sinful nature, and he fought against the world. And He, despite the rage against him, he emerged victorious. Again, to to 1 Corinthians 15, where where Paul quotes from the Old Testament, you know, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That raging of sin, death, and the devil— didn't stop Christ from rising. It didn't keep him in the lonesome place of death. And I think in the, the context of this hymn, then, when we're looking forward to the greater morning when Christ returns, the fact that Christ was able to leave that lonesome place of death, even when his foes were raging against him, brings us hope in this sometimes very dark world that as foes rage against Christ still today and against his church, we are given hope. Because we know that the light will dawn upon us, and that will be a, a more glorious dawn than even when when Jesus conquered death on Easter.
1: Right. It's almost like you're looking ahead into the stanza four. Oh, uh, to see well. Where we're going.
0: How I, about that? Yeah. Well, let's look at stanza four okay. then. Oh, brighter than that glorious morn shall dawn upon our race, the day when Christ in splendor comes and we shall see His face. So apparently, I was already talking about the stanza without realizing it.
1: So even brighter than Easter comes the return of Christ. Um, and so as he starts with those first words of, oh, brighter than that glorious morn, that that glorious morn that he's referring to is Easter, uh, like you said before, not something that we downplay or minimize, uh, but say, as great as that is, and it really is great, Christ's return in glory will be even better yet. Um, and, and then we go on to say, uh, the greater day shall dawn on our race, the day when Christ comes in splendor, um, and we shall see his face. Hmm. Uh, this idea of getting to see Jesus face to face is is a wonderful promise, uh, because none of us living today have seen Jesus face to face, but we will. Um, the idea, even thinking about how Moses would speak to, with God like a man hmm. would speak to his friend, um i think i got it backwards god would speak to moses like a man would speak to his friend and this is uh, jesus coming and being present with us face to face once again in revelation john sees jesus face to face Mm. um and john john knew what jesus face looked like and he still knew that that was jesus we don't know what jesus face looks like not not fully and completely, but we sure will. And that's something for us to get to look forward to. The same Jesus who bore and fought and died is the same Jesus that we will see face to face on that even more glorious day. Mm. And we sure do look forward to it. Yeah,
0: that's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, the language of of seeing the face of the Lord, uh, there's such comfort in that. And I mean, I think of of Mary, Mary Magdalene, at the tomb when she was weeping, and and she was greeted by Jesus, and she recognized him when when he called her by name, and the the joy that she had, and the, the joy that the disciples had, even in their disbelief after they, you know, when they saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. How much greater than will, will our joy be to see the face of our Lord? And even, you know, our, our worship services often close with the benediction in which we we talk about the Lord's countenance upon us or his face shining upon us and to have the Lord looking upon us with his favor, and actually seeing his face, not just you know, seeing seeing the pastor and his hand raised and, and knowing that yes, the Lord is looking upon me with favor, but actually seeing him. Look upon you with favor. What what a joyful day that will be. I mean, just the, yeah. And so, and so, it's like the hymn just needs to continue, and and we need to pray that last stanza. So, stanza five. The king shall come when morning dawns, and light and beauty brings. Hail Christ the Lord. Your people pray. Come quickly, king of kings. That's stanza five of the hymn, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. Pastor Hill?
1: So now we shift from saying things about God um, and and kind of having a a, a mini-creed or a kind of a a sung sermon back and forth Hmm. to we shift from preaching to praying um, because uh, we repeat some of the words from the first stanza. Uh, The king shall come when morning dawns. Uh, Well, that's just what stanza one starts with. Uh, But then instead of in stanza one, it says, and light triumphant breaks... Uh, he he shifts it to uh, the king shall come when morning dawns and light and beauty brings. Mm. And that's an image that we've talked about before of Jesus being the light bringer and the light giver.
0: If, If I can, just briefly on that shift. And I, you know, hymnody often works like this where the first stanza and the last stanza will echo each other. But the, that slight difference between the two that you have light triumphant breaking, you have that, you know, the, the, the light shining in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That, you know, almost warfare language, not not quite that strong, but close to it. But by the time you get to the last stanza, now it's light and beauty brings. There's this opportunity to recognize, yes, this king who has come has won the victory for me. And now there's no, there's no fighting going on anymore. It's simply resting in his light and his beauty. I, I think, I mean... Again, I'm not positive that the hymn writer had that in mind, but that's the the movement that I I see in just that slight turn of phrase.
1: And and I'm a little more cynical than you are. Uh, (laughs) Now, here's the thing: I love poetry and I love reading hymns as poetry, uh, but I but I don't write hymns. Uh, I know some pastors who who do this, and it's great. I don't because it's really hard and trying to find rhyming words is really hard for me. And I wonder (laughs) if he switched to Light and Beauty Brings because he knew where he wanted to end. He wanted to end with Come Quickly, King of Kings. And (laughs) and I wonder if he was just looking for a word that rhymed with King of Kings.
0: Maybe so. Uh,
1: Which is... Which is a really good place to to end, and and I think it definitely justifies that as well. Everything you said is right and true and good.
0: Um, <laughs> God be praised for that. <laughs>
1: um, but this this <laughs> emphasis that he has that the the King of Kings who is coming to to tip our hand to the very end uh, is the one who does light and beauty bring. Um, he is the light. Bearer, He is the one to think of a different him. He is our beautiful savior mm. um, who comes and brings that beauty and all of the goodness that he has to and for us. And so we, we continue to look to that and focus on that. And rightly so.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean and, and then you have, you know, that last prayer, hail Christ the Lord. We've encountered the word hail before in, in hymnody. It's one that maybe we don't use all that often in English, but you know, we're going to welcome him, we're going to greet him with acclamation. I'm reminded of the Palm Sunday crowd again, and yet the even greater crowd that will hail Christ as Lord on the last day. And so we pray now, come quickly, King of Kings. And even that language of of hailing the Lord and and asking him to come there is certainly the reminder that he does come to us in the Lord's Supper, particularly when we sing Hosanna, just like they did on on Palm Sunday, and yet we continually pray that he would come quickly, echoing those last words of Revelation. And he comes as the the King of Kings. We've been talking about him as King all along, King of Kings. That is one of those phrases that we use as Christians. What does that What does that mean about our Lord? Uh, he he
1: is the king's king, it, I guess would be another way to put that, that um, every power and every authority on earth uh, will be subject and is subject to him, and there is nothing greater than our Lord Jesus, and so uh, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. It doesn't matter if that's the knee and tongue of a king uh, here on earth or, or of anybody else, but everybody will recognize the full glory of Jesus. This is a, a superlative, uh, there, is, there is nothing better than to be king of kings. Uh, it's, it's the bestestist, I, I guess you would say. That's
0: the technical term. Sure. Pastor Ill, with just about a minute left, help us to wrap things up. Give us the hope that is ours from this hymn.
1: As we think of the wonderful news of our Lord's incarnation Uh, and his birth at Christmas, his suffering and death on Good Friday, his resurrection on Easter, all of this points us ahead to the hope that we have as Christians that he is coming again in glory. And when he comes again in glory, as he comes quickly as King of Kings, we are truly excited and hopeful for this truth and this reality. So we don't simply think about uh, this coming of Jesus at Christmas, but our attention is is lifted and transported beyond that to the coming again of Christ when we will get to see Jesus face to face. And oh, what a day that will be for all of us.
0: Pastor Peter Ill is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Millstadt Illinois, helping us today look at the hymn, The King Shall Come When Morning Dawns. Pastor Ill, thanks for being our guest today. My pleasure. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you'd like to tell us what your favorite Advent hymn is, please send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Let us know where you're listening and what your favorite Advent hymn is. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.